0: Oh, little town of Bethlehem. (laughs) Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem has quite a story. I don't know if you know it. For such a small town, it's Mm -hmm. got some history. We We first hear about Bethlehem In the story of Abraham and Isaac, the patriarchs, as you remember, Isaac and Jacob, well, Jacob has two wives, really likes the first one. (laughs) Actually, the second one, as it turns out, right? He loves Rachel, and in their wanderings, she passes away before him. And she is buried in this little place, kind of a borrowed place. That time, patriarchs didn't, uh, hadn't possessed the land. It wasn't until m- much later that they possessed the land. So here you are burying your wife on a journey. And so Bethlehem historically has been known as a city of mourning, as a city of great loss. Well, not until, because the story doesn't get much better uh, initially, we hear that in the book of Ruth that there's a famine in the land all across Israel. And in this famine, there is a specific family that is affected, uh, and they choose, in order to I- I instead of staying in Bethlehem, they decide to leave and they go to a place called Moab, a place that was not considered a clean or good place for a good Jew to go to. And in that place, that family, again, has serious issues. First, the husband, his name is Elimelech, he passes away. Then the two sons pass away, and it just leaves this poor woman named Naomi and her daughter-in-laws, who are Moabites, and so she says, "I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to that place where there's a great famine." It's a great story because the word Bethlehem actually means house of bread, and the idea is the house of bread has no bread. And so it is a place of loss and scarcity. And she goes back to that place, and one of her, one of her daughters, daughter in laws, follows her. And in some famous lines, she says that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve your God. Your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. And your place is going to be my place. And so she says, I'm going to go back to this house of bread where there's no bread. I'm going to go with you to this terrible, you know, yeah, I'm wondering. if Naomi says, well, you don't know the story, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go there. And so she, so she goes there. And, and in the story, the book of Ruth, we find that God has his hand on these Women. As Naomi comes back, people are like happy to see her. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Ooh. Don't get that tattooed on your shoulder. That's not a nice, that's not a, that's not a, a great place to be. She comes in bitterness, but God so loves this woman and so loves this young lady who would go with her mother-in-law and has done this good deed and has submitted to the God of this place, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God blesses her with a kinsman redeemer, a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz takes this family under his wing and loves them and cares cares for them. And it is seen as a beautiful gesture, a wonderful thing, across the whole land, where this man of great power and position brings into his home these people who are in need. And God blesses that relationship. And the, 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 so wonderful I think we're going to go over Ruth again. We've done it fairly not long ago, but I love it so much, because the in the lines is that he has they have a child together. And that child is going to be the great-grandfather of King David. And so all of a sudden we begin to see there's glimpses of joy and hope and goodness and redemption that are around this town. And then we come to our Christmas story. And in our Christmas story, we see that there are some shepherds who are out watching their flocks by night. Now at that time... Bethlehem is about the size of Burton. This is a Burton story, not a Brenham story. And, and the shepherds are out on that, not on the ranch out in Burton, but just like in a field out in Burton, right? And they are doing shepherdy kinds of things. Now, to be a shepherd at that time, well, that was like low, the, the lowest job you could get. It wasn't even minimum wage. And to say that you were a shepherd was a derogatory thing. (laughs) And so you would do things that shepherds do, and some of those things were unspeakable. But as they were outside the city, outside the little town of sorrow of Bethlehem, an angel not just one, but a whole host of angels appeared to them and said, don't be afraid. The reason they had the angels have to say, don't be afraid, is because, one, we're not used to seeing angels in our front yard, except that they're, they're plugged in, right? But these were real angels. And there was a sense of fear, because usually when an angel came, it was a sign of God's judgment. And so they're like, we're in trouble. And the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were extremely afraid. So the angel said, don't be afraid, don't fear, because I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be to all people. Woo! That's a crazy place for joy, Bethlehem. There wasn't much joy in Bethlehem until the, the angel showed up. And they were going to write a new script. They were going to to share a new truth with them, that today, this day, back in the town of Bethlehem, there was one who was coming. There was one who is going to be good news to all people. They said, "For unto this, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." Today, as we. Uh, Continue in our Advent season, our focus today, especially on this idea of joy. Joy is a thing that is both passive and it's something that is active. It's passive in the sense that it is something that is done to us. So, the shepherds, as they were out with the, with the sheep at night, they weren't working towards God's glory, right? <laughs> they were probably working in the opposite direction. But a grace of God showed up to them, to them in this place where they were, and He surprised them with joy. One of my uh, favorite speakers, Wendy Lawhon, says, (laughs) "Uh huh, it's Christmas. Joy comes by grace." Not through labored acquisition or happy circumstances. Pretty profound, huh? Grace, this, 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 this joy doesn't come because we've done something to get it. It doesn't come because everything is all right around us. It is a surprising kind of thing. C.S. Lewis says that a great, a, it is a great joy because it is a surprise grace. It's received rather than worked for, a surprise grace because it's greater than imagined, a surprise grace because it begun outside of you and shows up out of nowhere. Ooh, that's a good kind of joy, isn't it? So the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Have you been surprised by this kind of joy? Have you received this kind of joy? Have you you walked in this kind of joy? It is something that's passive. It means that it's something that's done to us, thus making it different than anything else. It it is a joy to us because it comes, not because we worked for it, not because the circumstances uh, around us allow for it. God has just done something to bring us Joy. It is something that is both passive and it is something that is also active, something that we activate, something we enunciate, something that we anticipate. Joy is something that we activate, we enunciate and we anticipate. In in the book of Philippians, Paul is, is telling this church that he loves so much when they find themselves in hard times and trials and troubles, rejoice. Rejoice. And he'll say it again. And again, I say to you rejoice. It's like he's saying it over and over again. Rejoice. Don't forget. Rejoice. That word in in the Greek is to joy, to do it again. So he's saying rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. It is something that we have to activate in the midst of trials and troubles. It is something that we have to... Uh, we have to participate in. So it's both that thing that's done to us. And in, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, it's continually saying, come, rejoice, the people of God, rejoice, come together, and give joy again and again. Joy. And so joy becomes that something that we do as well. We have to activate it. And in Galatians chapter 5.22, it said, now when the Spirit lives within you, the fruit of that Spirit, the result of, of the spirit living within you is that you will be a person who has love and joy and peace and uh, peace and patience and kindness. You have all these things that are inside of you because the spirit of God lives within inside of you. Our God is a God of joy. And so he tells his angels, go have a little joy party down there, right? Sprinkle them with some joy. And so now we have a similar kind of joy. Now, do you always feel that joy? No. That's why we have to activate it. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. I think we have it up on the screen here. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That'll ruin you. But... Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalm and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we have the Spirit of God living within us. And we activate joy, when the circum- especially when the circumstances around us don't look joyous, are, are not happy circumstances. We activate this joy by doing these things, but be filled with the Spirit. So we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So we give thanks. And here's really what's going to mess up our world. And the last one is, and we submit to one another out of Christ. That doesn't seem like a good way to make joy, right? But that's part of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the welling up of the Holy Spirit within us, is when you say, I don't feel that joy, well, are you living and walking in the Spirit? Well, go back to these verses here and start singing some songs, right? Make melody in your heart. Give thanks. I want to tell you, for me, uh, my singing doesn't go so well because I don't know, like, any of the words to the songs. Uh, so it doesn't help if you don't know the words. You just hum them. So giving thanks is, like, my strong thing. Like, I, I, need, to go, I need to go back to thanks. And when I get back to thanks, the joy starts, like, ooh, right? Amen? Happen for you as well? Can I get an amen? Does that happen? Okay. Do we have some song singers here where that activates the spirit with them? Say amen. amen. All right. <laughs> anyone submit to another and feel joy coming up in you amen. okay it's true it's true try it like submitting to others and and getting things in order that you find christ at the at the top and you can lovingly submit to someone else there is a joy that wells up in you because you realize you know what, it's not about me anymore like that's the spirit of god working in me because my flesh does not want to do that amen My flesh does not want to do that, but I am submitting anyway, and God allows the Spirit just to kind of in you, and there's joy in there. This is the way of God. This is the way of God's people. Sometimes I wish I had the sermon earlier in the week, like, I wish someone had preached this to me last week, because I sure needed it. I've learned this one by trial and error this week, by the way, mainly by error. Activate joy. Enunciate joy. We need to be really good at expressing our joy. I want to tell you, I think we can grow here. We, We need to sing louder. I don't care if you're a little bit obnoxious. It's okay. Sing with enthusiasm, celebrate together, dance if you have to. No, I'm just kidding. If you can. Not even if you can. I think Michael, David's wife, said he really can't dance. Hug, cry, give, sing, smile, smile. I tell you what, if you're a Christian and you're you you, you got one of those sourpuss Christians, you you need to enunciate the joy. Smile, don't just smile, but learn to beam. A joy that overflows. Share your joy. The the. The words that he's using, the angels are using here says, I bring you good noise. The good, (laughs) good noise. (laughs) I bring you good noise. I bring you good news. That good news is the word evangelion, right? From, from the Greek. I bring you the gospel, the good news. Evangelion. I bring you. The gospel is what he's saying. I bring you the gospel. The gospel is of great joy. People of God, we, we've got to be good at uh, enunciating the gospel with joy. You know, oftentimes we think about if I'm going to do evangelism, it means that I really am going to have to go through like this outline and I've got to give a critical reasoning behind what everything I believe, right? And that, that's important. But it needs to come with joy. Like, I got to tell you this. This is such good news for you. It's been such good news for me. It is good news full of great joy. Now, now the angel said that this good news was for all the people. All the people. Now, the shepherds probably. We're thinking everybody in Israel, but that's not what the angels were talking about. See, Abraham was promised in his, the the founding patriarch, in his relationship with God, God said that he was going to bless Abram, later became Abraham, and through Abraham, he would bless all nations. nations. Now, from then on, everyone wanted to forget that part, (laughs) all nations, They were just looking for the blessing upon Abraham and upon his people. But here the angels show up, and they're saying that there is a new way, a new order to understand that God has a love for all kinds of people. So the book of Luke, this comes from the book of Luke, The story, is full of people that he loves on, all kinds of people. One of the first people we meet is a paralytic, someone who is is crippled on the side of the road. And God heals them. Next, we, we learn about a tax gatherer, the most despised people in all of Israel. And, and Christ calls one of them to be his follower, to be one of his disciples. Then he heals a centurion servant, a Roman centurion servant. And then she, he brings back to life a widow's son. He then blesses a prostitute. He then comes in contact with a man with a demon who, who, is, who is homeless and naked and violent. That is not a good mix. And full of demons. And Jesus comes to them and he brings them joy. He heals. He blesses. He shows them truth. He shows them the way. And, brothers and sisters, Jesus wants to offer this joy to everyone we meet. and especially those who are troubled and bothered and you know so when you are watching your hallmark shows this christmas <laughs> and and you're watching you know there there it's always to this sad situation right and there's some kind of magical red shoe or something right you know and those are the stories of Christmas because although our world doesn't always get the point, they understand that kind of joy. Yeah, yeah. And that's the kind of joy that our Lord brings. Amen. So we have our eyes for our neighbors. who are hurting and broken and mourning. And we come beside them and we are present with them as Christ was present with us. And we get to share with them real hope, evangelion, the good news. Activate joy, enunciate joy, anticipate joy. Hebrews 12, 1 and and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, sometimes when we hear sermons like this, and depending where you are, you may go, ugh, that joy almost feels... Almost makes me angry or sadder or more frustrated because I don't feel that joy in the moment. And I want to tell you, it's okay. okay. You know, to make a good roux, you got to put it on simmer for a long time. Your joy may be on simmer right now and it's brewing, it's there. But it's on simmer. Continue to trust that that day of joy is coming back. That emotion of joy will will match the truth that you know in your head and your heart. Jesus, you can think about him in the garden as he was waiting to go to the cross and it, the cup is before him, that cup of suffering, that cup that reminds, reminded him and reminds us today that, that Jesus is going to have to have a painful death. And he wishes that, he asks that the cup be removed from him, that he has not to go through that. But he submits anyway because he knows that that is not the end. And so because of the joy set before him, the joy that was yet to come, he could be at peace in the moment. So, brothers and sisters, as maybe your joy is on simmer, as you need endurance for today, don't forget, there there are moments and even seasons of joy. Look for it. Listen for it. Hear it in the songs. Hear it in the laugh of children as they run back, back and forth and almost trip you on your way out today. Find it in the embrace of another Christian. Hear it in the preaching of the word. And finally, we, uh, we endure because there is a joy that will eventually match the circumstances. There's going to be a joy in which we live in that joy. And we will be constantly in the presence of that joy. It's coming. Advent is a season of remembering, appreciating in the moment, and looking forward. Brothers and sisters, joy to the world. The Savior has come. Joy to the world, the Savior has come for all kinds of people. Joy to the world, the Savior is coming again.